Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You are entering the news vault from KCBS Radio. Flames and the smoke. I have a tape recorder here in my hand. Now, nobody would think of doing that. The newsmen were blocking the door. It worked for a couple of seconds. Bringing the sounds of history back to life. Here is your host, Stan Bunger. One of the fascinating aspects of this project has been to realize how big some stories were at the time and how the issues that were perhaps in contention at the time that story was aired have faded away a bit. And one of them is the death penalty. Not to suggest that the death penalty isn't still a major issue, but the notion of people protesting outside San Quentin prison uh, for an execution, which was very much in the news in April of 1992. Let's reset the scene for you. At that time, a man named Robert Alton Harris was scheduled for execution at San Quentin Prison. He would be executed on April 21st, 1992, the first San Quentin Prison execution in 25 years. Just five days before that, KCBS aired a lengthy interview by reporter Jerry Wilcox with a different death row inmate, a man named Pedro Arias. Now, Arias had been convicted of a stabbing in Sacramento in 1987. He killed a man named Herbert Waltrip, a 22-year-old working at a mini-mart in the kidnapping, sexual assault, and robbery. Two weeks later, of a woman motorist he forced off the road, convicted of that as well. There were three witnesses at the mini-mart when that crime occurred, all of it caught on camera. Arias, a man with a long criminal history who added to the lore of his case by disrupting his trial, taking off his shirt and pants in front of the jury. He was sentenced to death in Sacramento County in February of 1990. So he'd been on death row for about two years, one of more than 740 people currently on death row in California at the time that we record this podcast, had been there for about two years when KCBS reporter Jerry Wilcox sat down for this interview. Tell me a little bit about uh, growing up in, uh, in Sacramento, a large family. Fairly large, eight siblings or all together. I got seven siblings, kind of myself, my gate. My mother raised us mostly by herself. She's been married a few times, but none of her marriages worked out. Sacramento wasn't such a bad place to be raised, but it had its ups and downs. I've started doing a little bit of time here and there, CYA, and did a couple of years in Texas, and uh, it was a reformatory sort of like place. Um, really just started you know messing up as a as a youngster and never really straightened my life out how old were you when you started going wrong must have been about 11 10 maybe 10 11 somewhere around there doing what petty theft um siphoning gas just getting in trouble truancy not wanting to go to school fight it wasn't such a bad place to be raised but it had its ups and downs I've started doing a little bit of time here and there, CYA, and did a couple of years in Texas, and uh, it was a reformatory sort of like place. Um, really just started, you know, messing up as a, as a youngster, and 
never really straightened my life out. How old were you when you started going wrong? Must have been about 11, 10, maybe 10, 11, somewhere around there. Doing what? Petty theft, um, siphoning gas, just getting in trouble with truancy, not wanting to go to school, fighting. Normal things that you would think that a normal you know, adolescent would do, but it wasn't normal, really, to tell you the truth. It was just rebelling, rebelling. Did you have some um, some bad guidance or bad influences? You might say that my whole family was kind of criminally act- active in one way or another, whether it be minor or f- or major felonies. So I kind of like just went along with my family, and, and then I started doing things on my own. But, you know, drugs, drinking, smoking, you know, shooting dope, you know, I mean, then that becomes a part of you after a while. You know, you live that life. It's like a, it's like when you when you walk that walk, and you talk that talk. You got to pay the price. What's a typical day like on death row? Boring, monotonous, kind of a uh, living in limbo. You know, you got yards. Yard starts about eight thirty, and you go to a small yard, kind of crowded. You know, there's a lot of people on death row. If you know, you haven't bothered to really keep count. And there's not much place you can put them. I mean, you know, you're kind of packed in there. But uh, that's, I was just going to tell you, that's just part of having to be on death row. I mean, you know, you pick the life you lead. Most of us don't even know what it looks like. Describe it. Uh, it's very, very small cell, probably about, maybe smaller than a walk-in closet, one bed. Um, hideous. It seems uh, to me that, you know, uh, I'm 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 the type of person that's either like either do me or, or, or let me, you know, be uh life without, you know, either get me get it over with or it, it's come down to a point where I feel like if you're gonna sentence a man to die, then get the process done as quickly as possible. It's the agonizing the day by day waiting one day after another, not knowing what what's gonna happen, you know, not knowing if you're either gonna get life without, you're either gonna get a new trial, or you might get gassed. And uh, from what it looks like with this Alton Harris, they're getting ready to start up the, the old green box there, and they're not going to shut the door for them. They get either more people put to protest or the outlaw, one of the two. What's in the cell? You got what I call my rack, my, my bed, my, my sofa, or whatever you want to call it, and a toilet, a sink. And I'm one of the lucky ones. I, you know, I had friends outside that bought me a TV, and... So now, you know, I can watch TV and, you know, if people think that, well, you know, these guys on death row got TV and everything, then they must not be doing too bad. But um, anybody can get tired of the same old thing. I mean, TV is nothing to really brag about. It's just an instrument to help pass the time. But when it comes down to it, it doesn't pass nothing. The thoughts are always there, what you did, you know, what happened on, you know, in your life, what you're missing, family, get visits every now and then. But... As it stands right now, I won't be getting no more visits for quite a long time. You know, I just read through breaking it with my wife. So, you know, it, it has a lot of strain, not only on myself, but on my family, too. What is your family at this point? I mean, do you have do you have any children? I have one son and my mom, my sisters. They're all out there. We get to use the phone, so, you know, we get to talk to them over the phone mostly. But they can't afford to come up very often. You know, they're on a fixed income. You said that the yard ends at what time? 12.45.
Okay, and then so then you've got twelve forty-five until bedtime to to kill time, right? Correct. It's really, I mean, it's monotonous. I mean, you know, one day after another, I call it a slow death. You know, anytime you you have to be in a cell as many hours as we're in a cell, it becomes monotonous after a while. Who do you write to mainly? I was writing to my wife, but I no longer have a wife. You know, that's part of this being in, in prison kind of like put a strain on our marriage to the point where it just kind of broke up. But um, I write to my mother, friends, family, or whoever wants to write. You know, if somebody wants to write, they write me, I'll write them back. I suppose it's a lot of pressure on a, on a wife knowing that uh, you're on death row, too, for that matter. Yeah, a lot of a lot of women, girlfriends, wives, you know, they think they, that they can hang, they think that they can really cope with this kind of uh, life, but first couple of years it seems maybe easy, but after that it becomes harder and harder, and they got a life to lead, you know, I mean, you know, don't have no conjugal visits, so you can't really, you know, make love to your wife in the sense of, you know, wanting to hold her or caress her or nothing, so... I mean, they got a life to lead, and they, they get lonely. And um, after a while, if uh, they decide that they want to go have another life without you, you just have to learn to let go. Is there any kind of camaraderie or uh, support among the people on death row? In other words, do you all feel a, a certain bond because you are on death row? No, nobody, nobody really says, since we're all on death row, this is what we all feel. You know, I feel different from a lot of people. A lot of people think that death penalty should be outlawed. Myself, I really, you know, I really think that the death penalty should be there. You know, I mean, the people voted it in, and you might say I'm, I'm for it in a way. Did you always feel that way? No, only since I got here. Only since I got here. See, the reason why I feel that is because I don't give a damn anymore. I don't care about, you know, I mean... It's either going to be what we call AWOP, which is a life without possibility of parole, or the gas chamber. One, I look at one as being a very slow, monogamous death, day by day. If they give you life without, you're in prison for the rest of your life, basically. And if they gas you, then your life is over. So it's either like, like a razor blade. You either cut yourself real fast and get it over with, you know, and the cut doesn't, you don't feel the cut until later on, or you can just really take it and you make a paper cut. And, and you know, day by day death is kind of monotonous. I mean, you don't, you know, wondering your family, you're missing friends, and it's kind of uh, hideous. So you're saying that the life without parole would be worse for you than gas? For me, yeah. I think, that's my own personal opinion. There's, a lot of people that don't think that. A lot of people, were, you know, would think that you know any kind of life is better than no life. Myself, if you ain't got freedom, you ain't got nothing. And life in prison is nothing. So you know, if you ain't got nothing, you can't lose nothing. Whether you got, you know, whether you're pumping air through your lungs or not. I'm, to me personally, I feel that I rather I rather go to the execution and uh, I rather get executed and get gassed, get it over with. Are you or were you ever religious? Somewhat. I'm not a practicing fanatic, if you know if that's the, what you mean, but I believe there's a God, and I believe there's a, there's a devil, and I know the two. 
Was there a point when you could have turned it around and, and done something different with your life? That you can think back on now? Yeah. Yeah, there was plenty of time to, to change my life around. I, um, I'm the type of person that I guess what you might call antisocial, and uh, I kind of just led my own life and didn't really think or care about other people around me, and this is where I ended up. Are you still that person? No, uh, the institution puts you in a position where now you're no longer in control of your own life, and out there I was, so that's why I ended up here. I couldn't control my own life, it seemed. In here, your life is controlled, so uh, now all you do is sit back and they control it. They tell you when you can shower, they feed you at a certain time, and you go to the yard at a certain time, so your life is basically controlled. Well, does that necessarily make you uh, now a more uh, sensitive, understanding, uh, perceptive person about yourself? Mm -hmm. I mean, is it just the fact that somebody else has control over you, that you've had uh, the time and the space to think about these things, and now you're more sensitive, or how, how does that work? No, I become a lot more bitter. I know, and here, you got to figure, you know, when, when you don't have nobody, you don't have nothing. I mean, I got some family, but it's not, you know, like, they can make it down, I become a little more bitter. I may become a little more, you might say hard, a little more, you know, like not not caring. Not too many people care about how we feel here. I mean, it's not like like we have plenty of things to, you know, to really care about. So you become to a point where in prison makes you hard. It makes you feel like uh, you have to be this way, you know, to survive, to make it through day by day. If you're weak, you can take it and you can act, you know, you can act on it and commit, or you can just fold up and let everything just come coming crushing down on you, you know. So you just have to harden your heart and hope for the best the next day. Maybe tomorrow will bring something better. So survival in here means hardening your heart? Yes. Yeah, as far as being sensitive... I was sensitive when I had my wife, but now that she's gone and she's no longer a part of me, I have to, you know, I, what can I do? I, I can, not like I can walk out the door and say, hey, forgive me for, you know, for acting like an idiot, you know, or saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. So you just got to learn to accept it. And if, if you let your feelings get in the way, you know, they're liable to take over and you have no more control over your own mind, over your own heart. So what happens to your feelings? They kind of just, in my personal opinion, they kind of just fade away. You're listening to a KCBS special report, Conversations on Death Row, with death row inmate Pedro Arias and KCBS reporter Jerry Wilcox. Once again, Jerry Wilcox. With the uh, April 21st approaching, do you sense any more tension on the line? I don't feel no tension as far as what... Harris is going to happen. I mean, that's something he has to deal with, and I probably, I'll probably have to deal with it in time myself. But um, that's part of just being here. I mean, that was his problem, and he has to deal with it. These are my problems. That's why I was telling you, become kind of hard. You know, I mean, I don't care about him. You know, I mean, that's his problem now. I, I got problems of my own. Is there a feeling, though, uh, either you or anybody else you may know? Uh that now that his case, if it should go through, 
that that's going to open the door and, and there will be a lot more executions more quickly down the road here? Yeah, yeah. Everybody knows that once they open the door, it's not going to get shut for a long time. And there are going to be other executions. And people are just going to have to deal with it. You know, from the minute you're born, you start to die. Whether it's be of natural causes or whether it be tragic. You know, but you figure you don't, you don't, you're not placed on death row for robbing, just robbing. In other words, most of the majority of people are here. If they're innocent, then they're innocent. But if they're guilty, most of them are here for taking another man's life or another person's life. Maybe more, maybe more than one. Without, again, commenting on, specifically on your case, do you feel that you can talk about whether you have any remorse for anything that you've done or any remorse for whatever it was that, that brought you here? Every day I look at them bars, I think about it. I think about how everything could have changed just by one minute. One minute, everything changed my whole life, and now I'm here talking to you. Every day I look at them bars, I think about what I did, what happened, or what I allegedly did. And it's on your mind constantly. I, I can tell you it's like the day is like your birthday. I know that the day that this happened was May 23rd. It stayed with me for the rest of my life. And it's like your birthday. You never forget it. Do you have thoughts like, uh, well, I'm the one who got me here. I mean, do you think that way or not? Yeah, I blame nobody but myself. People talk about death penalty as a deterrent. Is it? No. Can you see that it is a deterrent? There are people still killing people out there. People are getting killed every day. It's not a deterrent. You'll never deter anybody from, from committing a crime that they don't want to commit. You know, they're going to do it whether, whether they, there's a death penalty or not. As far as an ultimate punishment, that's all it is. And do you think it's appropriate for that reason alone? I think it's appropriate for my own personal case because I don't want to sit around in prison for the rest of my life. I'd rather just... The, the, state of, the people of California sentenced me to die in San Quentin's gas chamber. The, appell, the appellate process takes too long. Let's do it. I feel myself, personally, let's do it. Let's get it over with. I don't think that the appeal process should take this long. I think it should take no more than three years maximum. And that you should have the option, myself, as being a convict here, should have the option on whether we want an appeal or not. No more automatic appeals. Because if I had my, if I had my choice, from the time I walked out of the courtroom, I would tell them, let's go. The people said to execute me, execute me now. But I can be here up to 10 years waiting for my appeals. 10 years of, of it's like having cancer. 10 years waiting to either die or for them to find a cure. And you're always wondering when. It's like having one foot in the grave and one foot on a banana peel. Which way are you going to fall? But that's my own personal opinion. Maybe a tendency for the average person on the street to think of people on death row as not human or monsters or animals. We're people. We're people just like you. We got... We got feelings. Some of us got some hard feelings, but you have to, you have to live hard because you can't depend on nobody. But there are feelings. I mean, there are times where I think, 
man, I miss my family. You know, I, I could have a wife if I wasn't if I wasn't here. We have feelings. I mean, you know, things affect us. We you know we're we're just as human as everybody else. Some of us made some terrible mistakes. Some of us also, I seen that. It, they're capable of murder, and they're capable of murder if they ever get back out on the streets again. Some people, I think, you look at them, and they, when they say, hey, I could never do what I did again, you can honestly believe them in their eyes. You can see it. And then there's just some people that you know that if they tell you, oh, I'll never do that again, they would the minute they turn their back. What category do you fall into? I kind of fall into the point where if I had a good chance to live it all over again, I'd get it right this time. But I'm not going to get that chance. So it's kind of you're kind of asking me to think about something that's never going to happen. But I thought about it. The best thing you can do is get yourself a good education. Look at these gentlemen around here. Look at yourself. Which which you did did around here. You know, the CDC officers and so on. They picked. They picked a way to live, and they're living it. Myself, I picked the wrong way, and that was my mistake. Did you have any positive role models, now that you look back? Yeah, I had a chance. I had a couple positive role models, but I ended up being pulled out of this uh, group home I was in, and that was that was my major downfall. If they would have left me there, I think I could have been, I could have been all right. I could have, I could have lived a different life. There, there were better people. There were the people that I lived with in that group home, the counselors and stuff. There, I keep in touch with them still. And this was when I was 13. I'm going to be 30 in August, and I can see that if I would have stayed with them, things would have been a lot different. And when they say environment, you know, has a lot to do with how you are, I agree with that. Your environment has a lot to do with how you are and what you'll be when you grow up. So, what happened with the group home? Did you leave early or something? No, they got shut down. So when they got shut down, they had to send everybody back to their, either to a new group home or to their, to their parents. You said you had a TV. What else do you have in, in the way of exposure to media? I mean, do you follow things in newspapers regularly? regularly? Do you subscribe or not? No, my family doesn't have much money, and I, I can't, they can't afford that. I was lucky to get a TV. You know, I was lucky that I had uh, enough family, enough friends out there to gather and put the money together to buy me a TV. Yeah, I had a radio, so the TV's my only outlet to the outside world. Would you want newspapers if you could have them? Yes. Yes, most definitely. Newspapers, magazines, something, you know, something to be more aware of out there in the community, out there in the free world. I mean, I miss it. I miss it with all my heart. I mean, I, I can see out there, I can see the sky, I can see the trees. I miss it. I mean, I know what I what I was allegedly supposed to, you know, I've done. But, yeah, you can't help but miss freedom. What are you most interested in in the outside world? What would you be uh, most intrigued with or most interested in following? Current events. Right now, politics. You know, I get a kick out of this Clinton and this Jerry Brown and this Bush. I just, I just sometimes it just makes me laugh because there's such a, it's politics, you know, and, and politics can be real funny sometimes. What would you have liked to have done with your life? Uh, you know what I would like to have done? I'd like to have went to school more. I mean, I enjoyed school while I was going to it. I don't know why I stopped, but I enjoyed school. I'd like to have become maybe 
a dentist, you know, I mean, something in, in, in a medical field. But the only thing I can think of is a dentist is a good occupation. Maybe a counselor, you know. How far did you go in school? I had about two credits before I graduated, and then never graduated. High school? Yes. And that was as far as I went. What do you think about yourself in terms of your good qualities and your bad qualities? What's, uh, what do you like about yourself? Uh, that's a tough question. I mean, I, I like, I like the, that I have the ability to, to understand, comprehend. I'm in good health at the moment. Um, I like to draw. You know, if I could get some paints, I like to learn how to paint. Things I don't like about myself are my past. My past and, and not being able to have control, not being able to, to take control of my life. Was part of that lack of control, you mentioned drugs and alcohol. Was that part of the problem? That was the problem. You know, I couldn't see myself going back to using drugs. I mean, even, even as an escape, because that's, that's the whole thing where I'm in here for, drugs. What parts of you get you in trouble? Temper. I have her. And I've been written up here a couple of times for minor altercations. But um, I, I know I'm a caring person. I care. I mean, but at the same time, you can't care too much. Not a place here for caring people? You care too much, a person might take your kindness for a weakness and take advantage of that. So you can't really care too much. What person do you miss the most? Um, my mom. My mom. That's the most. And my wife, second. But she's found herself a new life, so I have to let that go. Where's your son? My son, I haven't, haven't spoken with him in the last six years. And when I did speak with him the last time, it was like we were so distant. There's like no bond. It's like we're almost strangers. I've only knew him since he was really, really small. Do you think he doesn't want to know you? I don't think he doesn't want to know me. I just doesn't think he doesn't know how to know me. He, he knows. He knows about me. He knows who I am. He's about twelve years old now. It's just that. He doesn't know how to know me. He doesn't know how to get close to me because he doesn't know who I am. I like to, I like maybe when he's get old, as he gets older, maybe we can get a, a bond. But at the moment, it's just like we're two strangers. Do you think it's? Do you think to deal with knowing that his father is on death row? I imagine it is. I imagine it, it's hard on anybody. I talk to my mom sometimes on the phone and. She just starts crying for nothing, just because she knows that she's in a helpless situation and she can't help me. Should we feel sorry for you? Don't feel sorry for me. You know, I did what I did. Don't have no sympathy for me. I'll handle it. I'll take care of my own self. You know, there are people that say they should feel sorry, but hey, you know, we all pay the price for our mistakes. And now it's my turn to pay mine. Do you have a respect for human life that you might not have had a few years ago? Yeah. Yeah. 
I got respect for human life. You know, you learn more about a human being in here. You learn a lot more. It took death row in prison to bring you to the point where you feel that you appreciate human life? Yeah. You know what? You can say that. In fact, you almost hit the nail right on the head. It took a, it took a, a slap in the face. This is more than a slap in the face, but hypothetically, kind of speaking, it took more. It took about a slap in the face to really wake you up, realize, realize that, you know what? This is the end of the road. This is the end of my road. I'm walking my last mile, it seems like. If there's another young man out there who's 13 now, who's very much the way you were when you were 13, what would you tell him now? You have a 12-year-old son. You better get your butt straightened down if you're messing up, because if you keep doing what you're doing, I'll see you here. Remember to follow the News Vault from KCBS Radio on social media. On Facebook, we're at News Vault Podcast. On Twitter, find us at News Vault SF. On Instagram, we're at News Vault. Until our next episode, you are leaving the News Vault from KCBS Radio. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.